Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And for season seven, we are talking about women in films, mainly complex female characters that have changed the stereotype that has been a shadow on female roles in Hollywood. So for today's episode, I'll talk about one of the most famous and popular movies to ever grace our screens and our hearts. Anyone who is anyone has seen it. So today's episode, we shall be talking about the 1997 11-time Oscar-winning film Titanic, written and directed by James Cameron and starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Kathy Bates, Bill Paxton and Billy Zane. As you grow older, you gain different perspective about the same things you once saw in your childhood and what life experience and time does to you is offer you a new light into watching movies or how you talk to people or simply just how you are as a person. You change because you've been given education, free will, you've been given the freedom to adapt to your own train of thought. And you may not have necessarily had that when you were 18 or even last year. And that's the great thing about growing up and learning or simply just absorbing the world around you. You change. Things change. Your ideas change or simply put, you have a different viewpoint that you once had at a previous time period. Now, of course, as the world ticks on, we look back at the treatment of people of colour, we look back at people fighting in wars, we look at the women's right to fight for equality. There are so many things that have happened in the last hundred years where a 90-year-old person would either stick to their own ways or simply adapt to a new way of thinking given how time has changed. Women can now vote. There is no green book or separate toilets for people of colour in America. We can drink alcohol now. We allow gay marriages. We have technology at our fingertips, which has consequently given us a platform to speak about these things that that seem to be still stubborn to change, like racism, like sexism, ageism, homophobia. These are still issues, even today in 2021, even in developed countries such as the UK and America. But with change comes conflict, and with conflict comes brutality and protest, which is sometimes necessary for the right cause. Another thing we should do is keep an open mind about the times we are living through that are changing at some momentum. One thing I've noticed when I watch movies now is that I see it in a different light, especially women in films and their treatment on how big executive studios decide to show them in films. We still have a problem today. Sometimes, though, films do tell a deeper story than the poster suggests it's selling. Now, with Titanic, of course, this is a true story that happened of an unfortunate and tragic accident in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean where the ship sunk because of an impact of an iceberg. We all know that story. But what James Cameron has written into this story is not just this survival story during the backdrop of the last days of the Titanic, but a story for a woman breaking free from her shackles that she has been placed into by her own mother, most likely. And this is where revisiting old movies are quite interesting because you come to see things in a new light. At first, when I watched Titanic, I found Kate Winslet quite annoying, quite stuck up. But I always say in films, if you hate or show some negative emotion towards a person on screen, then they are clearly a good actor, which is exactly spot on for Kate Winslet. She sold this character for this movie, the exterior rock she shows despite a woman in need and desire to break free. And eventually Jack, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, is the key to her feminist revelation. She is unlocked because of Jack, this guy who, by all accounts, got on this ship by a poker game and hangs around with prostitutes. But he's a nice guy and he treats her with respect. He doesn't order her food. He doesn't introduce hierarchy. He is genuinely in love with her and finds her fascinating as a person. And that's why that scene where Kate says, draw me like one of your French girls, Jack, is completely a milestone in her journey to breaking free. She submits to a man she has known for a few days and is an absolute comfort. There's a comfort zone with him for the first time in the movie because he shows her respect 
and he you know invites herself to look at her life and herself indicating that there is an option for her outside of this upper class world that she seems to be stuck in before she met jack she was outside of her comfort zone and god knows for how long she's trying to commit suicide she's wearing these tight dresses she's under the abuse from cal even that scene where she's on her toes and performing that ballet move is her if you will trying to break free trying to fly but she hasn't got there yet and who catches her when she falls from that ballet move jack does now the one thing anti-feminist would say in this scene is that jack offers the entire uh, floating door to Rose, regardless of the fact that he could have maybe fit on it. It's an ongoing discussion about this movie. But yes, Jack, maybe, you know, you have to look at it from a movie point of view, not from the realistic point of view of the movie, because this story never happened. I mean, it might have, but I mean, James Cameron introduced this story. My idea of this scene of the, um, Jack um, allowing um, Rose to float on the door isn't the fact that Jack couldn't fit. It's simply the movie is now saying that now Rose has been liberated. There is no more room for Jack in her journey anymore. Unfortunately, Jack holds no place in her future. The whole reason Jack was on the ship in the first place was for Rose to help liberate her. And he did call it fate, but everything happens for a reason. The whole reason he won that poker game was simply to unlock this trap woman in shackles. It was his destiny. This is the key to the story. Not the ill-fated ship, but this love story within. This freedom of being trapped as a woman by what society deemed acceptable in 1912. And it done it so fittingly how James Cameron has written this character. She's not your typical damsel in distress. She's the one that's, you know, she's the one that saves Jack from the act. She's the one who's rich. She's the one who's dominant. She is the one on the outside who's quite tough. The eye candy here is usually the women in blockbuster movies like Megan Fox in Transformers or any of the James Bond movies. In this film, it's Leonardo DiCaprio. He's the real heartthrob of this movie. He's the eye candy. So the roles are actually quite reversed. And what James Cameron does so well in his movies is have a complex female character, like he does with Ripley in Aliens or Linda Hamilton in Terminator, Jamie Lee Curtis in True Lies, and even Zoe Solander in Avatar. And that's why I admire James Cameron a lot when it comes to women in films, especially in the blockbuster category. Now, if you look at uh, Roland Emmerich films, which I love, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, but like I talked about earlier about watching things in a new perspective, films like Day After Tomorrow, Godzilla, Independence Day, those the women are awfully portrayed despite the film being highly entertaining. And that's where perspective comes into play when revisiting a movie you loved once as a child. I love those films, but I see it in a new light now. So Titanic, no one really needs to, ex I mean, I don't really need to explain the plot of the movie. It's based on a 1912 disaster that happened one evening on April 14th to April 15th, where the unsinkable ship hit an iceberg on its way from Southampton to New York City, and it tragically sunk a couple of hours later. Over 1,500 people lost their lives aboard the Titanic, and it's considered one of the biggest disasters in the last century and a half, considering this the height this ship got of being unsinkable. Now, James Cameron's version was the one everyone knows about and has come to love, but it's not the only Titanic film. One was made merely 28 days after the sinking of the ship back in 1912. It was called Saved by the Titanic. The original reel, though, was lost in a studio fire, so the film is, I think, has been lost forever, much like the Titanic. But throughout the, you know, throughout the 20th century, uh, sorry, 20th century, 21st century, no, sorry, 20th century, we've had different takes on this event, including a 1943 Nazi propaganda film called Titanic, in where a German captain heroically saves everyone, to a B-movie drivel in the 70s, where there is no doubt it's just there for entertainment purposes. So we've had a lot of these movies, but there is no doubt James Cameron put an end to all of these Titanic reboots or interpretations and he spent 200 million dollars to make this movie 
And it was money well spent. I mean, no one thought of it at the time, but it was money well spent because this movie became the third highest grossing movie ever in the world, grossing $2.2 billion behind only Avengers Endgame and Avatar, another James Cameron movie that was temporarily dethroned four months ago when Avengers hit the screen. But thanks to the release or re-release of Avatar in China during the pandemic, Avatar is now back on top. So Titanic actually is one of the oldest films in the top 50 of highest grossing movies ever made, which is quite something since it only came out, what, 24 years ago? Because a lot of the films in the top 50 are... Uh, the comic book movies or sequels like Jurassic Park, Pirates of the Caribbean, um, and they're all made you know in the last 20, 25 years. But Titanic is one of the oldest. I think the oldest one is actually Jurassic Park, 1993, uh, which is saying something. That's if you don't inflate anything for infl- uh, adjust anything for inflation, because then you can, should have Star Wars or Gone with the Wind. Those films should definitely make the list. But that's another conversation. So if you minus the present day scenes in the movie, the opening and closing credits, and just the scenes done in the 1912 um, in the movie, which runs for two hours and 40 minutes. That is exactly how long it took Titanic to sink from the moment of impact from the iceberg, which was somewhat intended by James Cameron, but never actually explicitly told people about that. It's actually in the behind the scenes, just allowing them to enjoy the experience of it. Well, enjoy, absorb the same time frame. The impact of the iceberg itself lasted, according to historians, 38 seconds, which is exactly the same amount of time that's shown in the movie. The film is quite authentic in, in, in terms of what happened with the Titanic. And what's great about this movie, you see it told from present day, which makes this film even more relatable when the emotions are at even more of a high. James Cameron doesn't get enough credit for this film. The man is a genius and it doesn't matter if he hasn't won any Oscars or if he doesn't make many films, he knows how to sell a movie. It's not a mistake that two of his films are in the top three films ever to be the most successful in the world. And I think that's just an extraordinary achievement. I mean, that I think that kind of vetoes an Oscar. But James Cameron went on around 18 dives to the actual wreckage of the Titanic to prepare for directing this movie, and he got the desired shots he needed. He was always in tears when he surfaced because the, just the sheer experience of him seeing it there surface and all of the things that happened there. I mean, he saw it all for a long time. He was there a lot for the preparation of the film. He ended up spending more time with the Titanic than any other person that was actually on it in 1912. He was completely relentless on set. With the 150 extras that were on set, he would have backstories for every single one of them, which is just dedication right there, which is something you don't actually really need to do as a director, but he did. Also, um, do you remember that scene in Titanic with the elderly couple that are hugging in bed while the water's flooding their room? Well, they are the owners of the Macy department store in New York, Ida and Istra Strauss, both of whom died on the Titanic in real life. See, Ida was offered a... This is um, going back to the historians and what James Cameron actually found out about some of the passengers on there. So Ida was offered a seat on a, tit- on a lifeboat, but refused because her husband couldn't get a seat because it was always women and children first. And she said, as we have lived together, we shall die together. There's a scene filmed that depicts this moment, but it was cut from the final version. And it was Mrs. Strauss who originally said, where you go, I go, which inspired Rose's same line in that movie. So I thought that was quite an interesting bit. But the film was really long enough, so they had to cut some scenes. It was almost three hours anyway without that scene. So, But the most famous piece of trivia for this film, of course, is the drawing that Leo does for Kate when she is naked, which was actually done by James Cameron, who is a very talented artist. Many of the drawings you see that Jack does are actually James Cameron's drawings. So that scene, because uh, Kate knew Leo had to see him, uh, see her, sorry, naked to break the tension on the first day of shooting, I think Kate Winslet just said she flashed Leo. Uh, which apparently work, and then them two are like really big um, 
good friends now. They've both won Oscars. But um, yeah, so the film was the most nominated film of all time at the Academy Awards. Um, well, it's actually tied with two others, La La Land and All About Eve. All three of those films got 14 nominations and Titanic... Uh, out of those three, actually, Titanic won the most. It won 11, which is another record. It won 11 Oscars, and that's joint tied with two other films, Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and Ben-Hur. 11 Oscars. The only nominations it didn't win was t- only two for acting and one for makeup. One was for Best Actress for Kate Winslet, and the other was for Best Supporting Actress for Gloria Stewart, who played the older Rose. At the time, she was the oldest person to be nominated for an Academy Award at age 87. I think Christopher Plummer recently surpassed her when he was 88, when he was nominated for All the Money in the World, which was um, about three years later. Ironically, she's meant to be playing a 100-year-old woman, and she was not a fan of the makeup when making her look old. Ironically, both her and the makeup department were the only categories where it didn't win when nominated. And sadly, uh, and ironically as well, Gloria Stewart died at the age of 100 in 2010. She was the only cast member in Titanic who was actually alive during the events of it. So I was reading a, um, a magazine that James Cameron did an interview for, and he mentioned about the staircase scene at the end of the movie when the Titan- where the Titanic sink, and he said, that final scene in which Rose returns to the Titanic features every character that died or is presumed to have died in the sinking assembled in the grand hallway of the ship. So as Rose ascends the grand staircase and embraces Jack, they applaud Captain Smith, stood on the balcony overlooking the staircase, and he does not begin to clap until a few seconds later, signifying this whole maritime tradition of the captain going down to the ship. And according to James Cameron, this scene can be interpreted in two ways. Rose fell asleep and was dreaming of being back on the ship, or two, Rose died in her sleep as Jack hoped she would, and her spirit returned to the Titanic, reuniting with him and all of the lost souls on that fateful night, which is why everyone in that scene are presumed dead or have died uh, during that scene. I mean, that ending is shot purposely to be quite ambiguous to suggest that Kate Winslet died in her sleep and entered the dead on Titanic, but it's left up to interpretation. In the actual screenplay, in the actual screenplay, which you can actually get online, it literally says, we pan off the last picture to Rose herself, warm in her bunk, a profile shot. She is very still. She could be sleeping or maybe something else. So even in the screenplay, they didn't know which direction they were going for. But in um, there's a... A documentary is called in Ty- I think it's on Disney. It's, it's in Ty- it's called Titanic 20 Years Later with James Cameron. Um, and there's another one called Titanic, The Final Words of James Cameron. And they're both directed by James Cameron and he's in it. And a group of experts researched new facts and evidence concerning the sinking of the Titanic that has become available in the 20 years since the film's release. Now, so the object was to see if new information has made the movie retrospectively inaccurate. So they discovered that Cameron and his crew had been quite adequate in the designs of the ship's interior that they got quite spot on the small exception was the telegraph room which had been modeled after titanic's sister ship but it looked a little different fortunately though the scenes that they had shot had been deleted from the final print so that was okay and cameron also found out that the ship's telegraph had broken down a few days before the ship sank which no one actually knew until very recently so the two telegraphers on board had repaired it in spite of regulations to wait for the ship to reach the mainland by ignoring this rule they were able to contact, the, I think it's the Carpathia, which is the first ship that came um, to help. It's a very big uh, trivia, that question. Well, the first ship to help Titanic, yeah, I think it's the Carpathia, to come and pick up survivors, saving hundreds of lives. There is evidence to believe that an outer door on one of the lower levels was open to Haston, the evacuation. Unfortunately, though, this has only sped up 
yeah, it, it, it was two of two evils really because yeah, it was helping everyone, but it also sped up the ship's flooding. And apparently, eyewitnesses' account of exactly what's happened just said it was so rapid and they didn't know what to do. So Cameron and his team did several simulations of the sinking and evacuations of the ship, uh, which is quite interesting. So they basically made the movie, and then 20 years later, they wanted to see how accurate they were with today's technology. But the movie depicts the ship breaking between the last two smokestacks, which in reality, it probably broke halfway through the middle, just below the waterline. And as a result, Titanic's stern section most likely did not drop back into the water after the ship broke into two, as it's shown in the movie. It probably just got tilted further into the upright position until it finally sank. But concerning the evacuation, it is unlikely that more passengers would have been saved if Titanic had a full complement of lifeboats. The sinking of the ship was so fast that the crew probably wouldn't have had time to lower more lifeboats in the movie than they did. So um, even if they did have all the lifeboats, it probably wouldn't have made a difference. And lastly, there's this evidence that Molly Brown, who's played by Kathy Bates in the movie eventually commandeered her boat to go back and pick up survivors and even threatened to throw off the unwilling crewman um, if he didn't cooperate. So I thought that was a fantastic story. And you kind of get that uh, scene a little bit with Kathy Bates' performance in that movie. So I thought, you know, they did well with that. But there was also um, a considerable controversy arose when James Cameron depicted the suicide of First Officer Murdoch. Do you remember he shoots himself in the head after he accidentally shoots... Um, uh, I think it's Patricio he shoots. I'm not sure. I might have done. Anyway, but no, no, it's someone else. But while Cameron did apologize to Murdoch's family members for the upset scene, um, he still kept the shot in the movie, stating simply that no, what that, basically saying that while no one could prove that it did happen, neither could anyone prove that it didn't. So he just left it in the movie. But I'm not sure how I think about that scene. But Murdoch's body was never recovered. But it is generally agreed that he either froze to death in the water or went down with the ship. There are many little bits in the movie that are actual encounters and statements from the survivors of the Titanic in real life. Like when Jack prevents Rose from committing suicide, he shares a story about how he once fell into freezing cold water while ice fishing. And he goes, it hits you like a thousand knives stabbing you all over the body. This was an actual quote from a Titanic survivor describing the temperature of the North Atlantic current. Um, which is actually quite interesting because that sort of foreshadows what's going to happen as well. But the movie offers many interesting themes and sometimes right in your face. But the most famous one is that there is no distinction between young and old, rich or poor. Life is priceless for all. And when it comes down to moments of survival, you find out the real characters and their worth. And that's how you distinguish someone's character. Not how old they are, how much money they have but their human spirit in a devastating situation. And it's very clear that no matter who you are on this planet, we are all on the same boat but anyways that's all i have time for with titanic too much to talk about but i thought i would mention something that people may not know of course this was the movie that kickstarted leo and kate's career afterwards both eventually winning oscars later down the line coincidentally for films both starting with the letter r kate for the reader and leo for the revenant anyways now i'm babbling um, but yes please subscribe to me on google itunes and spotify and you can follow me on instagram film exploration ah all lowercase all one word and once again thank you for listening to film exploration with ash hurry